All right, well, happy Resurrection Day. That's my part. You guys, he is risen. Okay. You guys are just excited this morning, I guess. A lot can happen in seven days. A lot can happen overnight, right? We recently just took a vacation with the kids to Coeur d'Alene, and we went to bed uh, Sunday night. The pass was wet and bare, and when we woke up Monday morning, it was uh, snowy and change required. So a lot can happen in seven days. Uh, last week, obviously, we talked about the uh, triumphal entry. And uh, Jesus didn't just enter Jerusalem and go straight to the cross. Right? Even though his face was set towards it, right? even though it tells us that it was the joy set before him, as in Hebrews. Uh, Monday, for example, he went in and he cleansed the temple and he healed the blind and the lame. Tuesday, the religious leaders had a long discussion with Jesus and they tried to trap him and, you know, get him to speak some blasphemy concerning the word of God, but to no avail. Right? He rebuked them. He also went and taught on the Mount of Olives on Tuesday uh, concerning, among other things, end times and tribulation. Uh, Wednesday, he was anointed with oil, uh, an ointment of pure nard. It was worth a year's wages. The Gospel of John tells us that it was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who anointed him. Uh, Thursday was the Last Supper. Uh, washing the feet of his disciples as well. And then later, Thursday, Thursday evening, Jesus was arrested, right, because he was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. And Friday, Jesus appeared before Pilate, and he also appeared before Herod. And later, of course, he was crucified and died on the cross. Right? He didn't swoon. You know, he was crucified. And, it, and he didn't fake his death. It's like people like to tell you, oh, he faked it, Right? He didn't really die. He swooned, and, when, and then the disciples went and stole the body, right? He didn't. He died. He willingly gave up his spirit, the Bible tells us, right? Willingly and obediently. And on Saturday, Saturday is an interesting day because it was the Sabbath. And on Saturday, the Jews, of course, were all at home mourning. All his disciples were all together mourning. And they weren't doing anything because it was the Sabbath, but the Romans were doing something because they thought that the disciples might come and steal the body. So they went to the grave and they sealed that grave up. When I mean sealed it up, they, they put their official mark on it. They put you know, ropes and stuff across the stone. They sealed them with wax. They put guards, stationed guards in front. And um, you know, they didn't want anybody to steal the body. However, Sunday, the day we celebrate today, uh, Jesus rose from the grave, right? He is risen. Yeah, a lot can happen in seven days, right? Pew Research did a poll not too many years ago, and they asked Americans about the top significant historical events in their lifetime, right? And the list had, had a lot of stuff on it. It depended a lot on, you know, by what generation they were asking and by uh, race and ethnicity and everything else. But the list... Uh, was you know, there's some of the things that were on the list. It wasn't limited to this, but here's some of the things. Of course, uh, 9-11. Uh, the Obama election was high on a lot of the lists. Uh, the tech revolution. JFK assassination. Uh, Vietnam War. Uh, the Iraq or the Afghanistan wars. The moon landing. Uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Gay marriage was high on the list. 
uh, Gulf War, D-Day, World War II, uh, Martin Luther King assassination, uh, the Challenger disaster. Those are some things that people listed that were some of the most uh, significant historical events in their lifetime. And that list varies, of course, like I said, between people. You might have thought of something that you remember, uh, you know, while I was mentioning those. However, right, I'm here to tell you that today, the day we celebrate, Resurrection Sunday, is without a doubt the most significant historical day in human history. Right? No other day matches it. Right? It's central to our faith. It's the most significant event in your life. All right? Our lives should be a testimony to a living and risen God. Right? A testimony to Jesus. It's one thing, it's one thing for us to hear the good news, right? The message of Christ's death and resurrection. It's another thing to experience it personally. Right? And many of you have experienced it personally. And when that happens, right, you start living a resurrected life and you never look back. Right? You've been given a new life, you've been given an abundant life in Jesus. Right? This is a message that never grows old, right? a message that we teach weekly and that we live out daily. Hopefully not just once a year. All right. We're going to read this morning from 1 Corinthians. Instead of going into one of the Gospels, uh, like we would usually do normally on Easter, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 22. It says, and this is Paul writing, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now... If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the the, the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death... By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made 
alive. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the power of your word, and I thank you for the power of the resurrection. I thank you for the truth concerning the resurrection of the dead and the hope that's found in it. Thank you for the hope that's found in the resurrection of Jesus. I pray you make that real to us and real to those that we can share it with. Thank you, Lord, for this. I thank you for the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes. So, how many cultures believe in the resurrection of the dead? Right? And I'm not just talking about life after death, because almost everybody believes in life after death. Right? Almost everybody believes in an afterlife. Right? Many cultures believe that. Right? You know, you, you, when you die, you become a spirit, you enter another world, you enter a different plane of existence, maybe the person will be reincarnated. We see reincarnation go all the way back to the, to the Babylonian times, as far as what they believed. Uh, concerning resurrection of the dead or life after death. And then eventually, possibly, you enter nirvana. I mean, you have all these different cultural beliefs concerning life after death. Right? Some cultures, they believe when someone dies, what they do is they remove the body feet first from the home. Okay? And then they take a confusing path towards the burial site, which means they don't, they don't take the normal route. Right? So that the deceased can remain an ancestor and not wander back home. Right? They don't want him to remember how to get back home. Not, not like a lost puppy, right? Yeah. So, but it, so if the burial's not done properly, then the deceased could haunt the family, right, wreak havoc as a ghost within the community. But you understand that the deceased hasn't physically risen from the dead, right? They, they, it's still a ghost, according to their beliefs, right? The Day of the Dead celebration, Mexico, maybe you've seen the Pixar movie. Right? The idea is that families can on that day welcome back the souls of their deceased relatives right? to celebrate and acknowledge their loved ones who have passed on. But remember, they're welcoming back the souls of their deceased relatives, not the physical bodies. Right? The Celts, they celebrated, uh, it's pronounced Samhain. It's good now. Hey, all right. Thanks for fixing it, whatever we did. The Celts, they celebrated uh, uh, Samhain, which was in a time that, the, that they believed it's a time that the spiritual world and the physical world could unite. This is where Halloween comes from, by the way. This is the background, the, the pagan mythological background that uh, is behind Halloween. And your ancestors could come back and visit the physical world for that one day. That one day, right? But again, it's, it's you know, it's spiritually, it's not physically, Right? There's so many different views and cultural traditions concerning life after death, right? You may have even been raised with some of these interesting uh, different views depending on your background, which is why people have seances and, and all these different things that people get involved with, with trying to stay in touch with those who have passed away, right? Houdini. Houdini wasn't sure about life after death, but he thought if anybody could contact the living after he passed away, it was him, Right? So he told his wife, he gave his wife a secret code. He said, I'm going to try and reach you after I die. Here's my secret code, so you'll know it's me. Right? So on the 10th anniversary of his death, she held a big seance. All the newspapers and the press people were there, and they tried for I don't know how many hours to contact Houdini. And guess what? They, they never did. Right? It's been almost 100 years since Houdini died. He died in 1926, and as far as I know, he's never contacted anybody. Right, from beyond the grave. But this is just the thing, that many cultures believe in life after death. Right? Many people believe in it. <clears throat> but 
Do they believe in a physical resurrection, as in blood, skin, and bones rising out of the grave? Right? Fully alive, not just in spirit. Right? Do you understand? We're not talking something figurative. We're not talking about something metaphorical. We're being literal. Right? A literal bodily resurrection. How many cultures believe that can happen? Right? Outside of horror movies or science fiction or, you know, or whatever. There's actually not very many. <clears throat> not in a good way anyway. Right? Maybe zombies or something. Right? But how many religions teach that? Right? Ancient Middle East, you know, uh, religions believe, you know, in the resurrection of divine beings. <clears throat> but belief in the personal resurrection of humans? No. Right? Greco-Roman religions, you know, thought that there was a belief in the immortality of the soul, but in the resurrection of the body? No. Right? I mean, it was a symbolic resurrection or a rebirth of the spirit in many Hellenistic or Greek religions, so, you know, such as the religion of the goddess Isis, but a bodily resurrection? No. The Greeks believed that the afterlife was the liberation of the soul from the body. They would have never believed in the bodily resurrection, which is something John is addressing in the Gospel of John. Right? <clears throat> Not even the Jews for the most part. Right? The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, the Pharisees did, but in many cases, neither Jew nor Greek had any predisposition to believe that someone could physically rise from the dead. Despite what, <laughs> what many had seen Jesus do during his ministry, like raise Lazarus from the dead, for example. Or despite what Jesus himself said, which is the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he, was killed, when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Right? The resurrection was the farthest thing from their minds, right? I mean, Peter rebuked Jesus for saying things like that. Yet, on the third day, Jesus did just that, right? He rose from the grave just as he said, which it tells us in almost every gospel, right? The angels remind the women who arrived at the tomb first to anoint his body with oil because remember, they didn't get to anoint him before they put him in the grave because they were trying to get him in the grave before Sabbath, <clears throat> and the angels tell them, he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Right? Just as he said. And in that, in that, we have hope. Right? Outside of that, outside of the cross and the resurrection, there is no hope. None. And that's what Paul's saying right here in Corinthians. I mean, if you look at verse 12, and... Uh, 12 to 14. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Right? And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He's saying, if Christ hasn't been raised, there is no hope. There's no hope. Right? In verse 19 he goes on and says, if, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, Right? That's the life you're living right now. In this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Right? But guess what? Our hope is not in this life only. And it's not just in the afterlife only. It's, our hope is for both. Right? It's for both. Right? If our hope stops when we die, yeah, that sucks. Right? 
But our hope extends beyond the grave. Right? Our hope is for life after death. Our hope is eternal life in Jesus. And this is the testimony it tells us in 1 John. Like 1 John 5, 11, it says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Right? It's in Jesus. The cross and the resurrection are core tenets of our faith in Jesus. They are of first importance. And that's what Paul writes here in verse 3 when we read it. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures. It's of first importance. Right? You know, Jesus said, uh, he, he said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Right? And it is they, he said, the Scriptures, that bear witness about me. Jesus said that the scriptures testify to the truth of who he is. The scriptures, right? They, when Jesus is talking about the scriptures, he's talking for pretty much for what we understand as the Old Testament. Because the, the Bible obviously wasn't all put together back then. And they didn't have a lot of the New Testament writings yet. They hadn't been written. Right? So the, pretty much when Jesus says scriptures, he's referring to Old Testament. So the scriptures, however, they were no ordinary writings. Right? The Bible that we have today is no ordinary book. Right? It is the source of truth. Do you understand? It's the source of truth. Did you know that the Word of God, that the Bible, has around 63,779 cross-references? Okay? Now, a cross-reference is a scripture that references another scripture. Okay? What does that mean? That means that the cross and the resurrection were no accident, right? Because they were proven by God's word, which he wrote in advance, right? The word of God testified, it proclaimed that Christ would die for your sins and that on the third day, he would be raised again. Hosea chapter six, verse two, for example. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. The word of God gave them the truth concerning Christ. They had it right there in front of them. It testified right, to the truth. If you go to the book of Job, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Right? Probably written before Moses wrote his books. The book of Job, uh, he, Job asked the, the question that probably everyone still asks today, for the most part, right? What happens after we die? Job 14, 14. He says, if a man dies, shall he live again? Right? So Job's asking the question that everybody wants to have an answer to. What happens after we die? Are we going to live again? See, Job understood that death is permanent. Right? And that once he dies, he was going to be unable to plead with God that he did nothing wrong. And that his sin's going to keep him eternally trapped in a grave. So Job comes to this understanding that the only hope for him, the only hope, is a resurrection. 
Right? And he writes that in Job chapter 19, uh, verses 25 through 27, if you want to look it up. He says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. Right? And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, he says, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Right? Whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. Right? That's an amazing passage from Job where he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, that he will be on the earth, and even after I've died, in my flesh I will see him. What's he saying? I will be resurrected, and I will stand before God. That is the hope that we have in Christ, and that is the power of the resurrection in our lives. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him, in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Right? That's where our hope lies. Yes, yes, you were once dead in your transgressions. So it tells us in Ephesians. Right? But God. Right? But God be in rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All right, Romans 6, 4, we were buried therefore with him, and by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 1 Corinthians 15, just later on down this same chapter, verses 42 and 43, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Right? That is the hope that we have in the resurrection of the dead. The joy that was set before Jesus is our freedom from sin and death. And now because of our faith in Christ, God sees us as righteous through Jesus. And regardless of how we see ourselves, or how others see us, thank you Lord. Right? So you should be joyful. Because he is risen. Right. But that's also why it's controversial. Right? Because the main problem that the world has with Jesus today is that he is alive. No one doubts Jesus lived. No one doubts, really, for the most part, that Jesus died. There's lots of historical documents that you can look at that testify to the truth of Jesus' existence and Jesus' death. And also the fact that his disciples proclaim that he rose from the dead. Not just biblical. Right? You can look at other historical documents and see this is what was going on. So no one really disputes that Jesus existed and that he died. The problem the world has is that he rose from the dead and that he is alive. Right? That's why it's controversial. 
If Jesus, Jesus was just like Buddha or Muhammad or Gandhi or whoever else they want to place on that you know, same level as Jesus, right, then the world wouldn't have an issue with him. Why? Because he'd be dead just like they were. Are. Right? Just like them. And it would be easier to accept Jesus if he was dead than if he was alive. It was easier for the disciples. They came expecting him to be dead. Remember what the angel told, what we read before we started this morning. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Right? He's not here. He's risen. Just as he said. They, they say that there's supposedly over 4,200 religions in the world. Guess what? There's only one empty tomb. Right? The grave could not hold Jesus. And guess what? It's not going to hold those in Christ either. Right? Colossians 3, for example. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Right? Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Right? That's the truth. The truth of Jesus, the truth of our King, is that he's also our salvation. He's also our atonement. He's also our sacrifice. Right? He died once and for all. He's the Passover lamb. Right? They celebrated the Passover this week, yesterday. Right? For Christ, our Passover lamb, it tells us in, in Corinthians, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, and was the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world. Right? We do not have a high priest, as it tells us in Hebrews, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Right? That was Jesus. So let's speak some truth. Not that I haven't been, but, you know. I feel that everyone needs to hear the truth, right? And most of you have. This is the truth. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to take my word for it. Think about it. Check it out yourself. You know, if you need to. See what happens. I think you might be surprised. If we took a poll, I think we'd find out that most everybody wants to go to heaven. I still stand by this. Right? Most everybody believes in life after death of some sort. If you've ever been to a memorial service or a, a funeral um, for someone who wasn't a believer, you, you know what I'm talking about. Right? It doesn't matter what their religious beliefs were or weren't, as it could be. We always believe that the deceased is now someplace better. And who wouldn't want to be someplace better? However, the truth is, most people fear death. Right? Hebrew tells us this is why many people are still subject to bondage. Lifelong slavery, it says in Hebrew. Why? Because of their fear of death. Right? Hebrews 2.15 because they honestly are not sure what happens after they die. People tend to think we live in this, you know, karma-based life where we can balance out the bad we do by the good we do. And if we're really good at heart, then in the end we're going to get to heaven. Our little sins can be erased by our good deeds. I mean, I've basically been a good guy all my life, so I'm set, right? Wrong, right? Not even Billy Graham and the Pope could be saved by their good deeds. You see, 
God's word says that if we try to live by the law, then we must keep all of the law. And none of us can do that. As a matter of fact, in the book of James, it tells us that if we break just one part of the law, then we've broken all of it. And that sucks, right? No one is perfect, despite what you might think. And all have sinned, and no one is righteous, not even one. That means you, me, and everybody else in this room, and everybody else on the planet, right? None, none of us are righteous. And here lies the problem, to get to heaven, right? Got to be perfect and righteous. And we're not, right? The wages of sin is death. And despite our good works or how many old ladies we've helped across the street or how many Girl Scout cookies we've purchased, and trust me, I've purchased a lot. It's not getting me a ticket to heaven, right? Close but no cigar, right? None of us are going to get there based on our works, based on our own righteousness, right? We're likened to dirty rags, right? We truly deserve death. But the kicker is, but God, right? Despite what we truly deserve, as it tells us in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? For God did not send his son to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Right? That is the good news. Jesus Christ, the one and only son of God, came to earth, lived a perfect and sinless life. He came and bore the weight and the responsibility of all our sins, took our death sentence, and sacrificed himself for us on the cross. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? And then on the third day, he rose from the dead. Right? He is risen. It's really simple. It's really simple. It's the easy-peasy gospel. That's what I call it. Some people don't like that phrase. Right? Salvation is a free gift from God. Eternal life in Christ Jesus, as Romans 6.23 puts it. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to, you know, pay a monthly fee. You don't have to get a credit check. You don't have to get a haircut. You don't have to learn how to sing or play an instrument or wear a suit on Easter. Right? You don't have to do any of those things. It just requires faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4 says that there is salvation in no one else, right? There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. Jesus is the only way. You just have to believe that Christ is Lord, that you've died, that he died for your sins and that God raised him from the dead. You just need to repent, turn away from your sins, right? Asking for forgiveness and accept Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then it says, like Romans 10, 9, you shall be saved. That's the whole truth, right? That's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's just the beginning. That's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. It's a day of hope. It's a day of hope, right? Easter brings hope to those who have been devastated by death or the, for those who fear death. Because Christ, once and for all, defeated death and rose from the grave. Right? He swallowed up death for all time and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, as it tells us in Isaiah 25.8. Right? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? Because of Jesus, death no longer has victory. We do. Right? God gave us victory through Jesus. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's the truth about the resurrection from the dead. Because of, you know, that's the truth. Knowing the power of Jesus' resurrection gives us hope in a new life. We no longer live in the shadow of the past or in the shadows of our failures or our sin. 
We're no longer stuck in a prison of unforgiveness where we often like to put ourselves sometimes. Right? Because the cross is a symbol of freedom. And some people see the cross as a, you know, a horrific weapon. They see it as a, a symbol of death. Have you ever noticed that many Catholics, and I'm not picking on Catholics, but often have the cross in their house with Jesus still on it? Jesus is not on the cross anymore. But what happens when we keep Jesus on the cross and we don't look beyond the cross to the empty grave? Well, we get trapped in shame and sin and guilt when we think he's still on there. <clears throat> don't do that. Right? Don't do that. The cross is a symbol of freedom. And proof? You want proof? The empty grave is the proof. Right? The cross is a symbol of freedom and the empty grave is proof of that. The empty grave is proof of that. You know, the, the disciples, I mean, he, Paul talks about it here in Corinthians, how Jesus appeared to all the disciples, and he appeared to 500 people at one time after his resurrection. And then the disciples went on for 40 years teaching and telling people and proclaiming about the resurrection of Jesus. And they got tortured, and they got thrown in jail, and they got you know, arrested, and all these things happened to them. And they never recanted their story. They never changed their story. They didn't tell anything different. For 40 years, they said, Jesus has risen from the dead. And they taught about the power of the resurrection. They never changed their story. You know, people say, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Well, if it was a lie, they, trust me, they would not have kept that up for 40 years of being beaten and abused and thrown in jail and whipped. And, and, in, the, and in the end, a lot of them martyred, right, because of their faith. I've heard it likened to um, uh, Watergate scandal with Nixon, right? You have 12 disciples who over 40 years never changed their story. And like I said, got thrown in jail and abused and beaten and stoned and all kinds of things because of their faith. And then you have 12 people or whoever involved in Watergate who couldn't keep a story straight for, you know, 40 minutes. Once persecution came in, right? Once the law came down. We live in a world today that will tell you a different story every five minutes. They can't keep their story straight to save their life. They're not trying to, right? They, they got to they gotta go with the flow in the sense of whatever is considered, uh, you know, of the most importance is what they got to tell you. Even if that contradicts what was the most important thing five minutes ago or what will contradict what's going to be the most important thing five minutes from now, doesn't matter, right? They'll just, they'll just, just continue to feed you the lies. They can't keep their story straight to save their life. But you can testify to what is of the most importance, which is the resurrection of Jesus. And you can say, well, how can I testify about the resurrection of Jesus? I wasn't there. I'm not a disciple. I didn't, 
I didn't, you know, I wasn't with Jesus when he walked on the earth. I didn't see him die. He didn't appear to me after his resurrection. Well, actually, his spirit resides in you. And his spirit testifies to the truth of the gospel. And his spirit testifies to the truth of his resurrection. And that is living in you. The spirit is living in you now. He's left that with you to testify about the truth. And because of that, you can testify about the truth of the resurrection because the Spirit of God, which is in you, testifies about the Spirit of the resurrection. It's in your life. right? And you've been set free from sin and death. right? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's an eternal freedom that is available to everyone and that we need to share and testify and proclaim. It is of the most utmost importance. Right? Verse 21 and 22 at the end of what we read here today, it says, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all shall die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Right? Again, that is the hope we have in Christ and the power of the resurrection in our lives. That is what we can share. That is what we can share. That is what we can testify to, to this fact, that what Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life, right? Whoever believes in me, though he shall die, yet shall he live. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the strength and the power of your word, and I thank you for the power of the resurrection. I pray, Lord, that this is something that we do 24-7. It's not just one day a year, Lord, that we proclaim this. We proclaim it every day in our lives to those who need to hear it, that there is hope for those who fear death, hope for those who have been affected by death, that there is hope because Jesus rose from the grave. There is hope in the resurrection of the dead through Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we can just continue to testify to the truth of that by how you are working through our lives and how your spirit works in us. We thank you, Lord, for this. We thank you for your word. We pray you bless all those who are here today and all those who couldn't be here and, and even bless the technical difficulties. We thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless. Have a great day, guys.